Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. And this is the the end of the year fix, right? Because this is our last time to talk to you. We'll talk to each other. It's yes. <laughs> our last time to talk to you in 2022. And you'll be happy to know that unlike every other media outlet, are we media? Technically. Technically, we, yeah. we have nothing to sell you. You can't join our Patreon. <laughs> Patreon. You can't buy any merch. <laughs> you just... We should have merch. We should... <laughs> I guess T-shirts. That's what are you true. thinking about? That's true. This is coffee our... mugs. What is astonishing, <laughs> right? Uh, anyway, we are gonna um, meet again, talk to you again in 2023. But we are happy to have a last time uh, podcast of 2022. Wow! And this would be where, if we thought about such things, we would have like a year in review <laughs> retrospective. What astonished you in 2022? But don't worry. We aren't. That's actually not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. Next year. Pilot for next year. So what is astonishing you this week? Well, uh, several days ago, I had a conversation with one of our colleagues. We met for coffee, and as we were standing in line, he said, Yolando, when we sit down, I want to ask you something important. Wait, can you tell me who it was? Okay, Later. off the podcast. All right. <laughs> so uh, we get our coffee. We sat down, and um, he said, he asked, how do you do it? Right? And so oh. in, in, in my mind, I'm like, how do I do what? Stay so fly, look so fresh. What do you mean? How do I do it? And then he said, um, well... You've been at Dorada Church for six years, six or seven years. Now, I need to tell you that this pastor is fairly new in the congregation that he's serving. Oh, yeah. So um, he said, you've been at Dorada Church for six or seven years. How do you stay in a small church and not leave for something bigger? And that question really caught me off guard and um, so I paused because I really I, I want... like that his assumption is that, you know, <laughs> that I'm not looking for... coming, knocking at your door and you're like, no, 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 no. no. ask someone else. <laughs> yes, I don't no. I don't want to go to something larger. Um, but but it, it caught me off guard. And so I, I, I paused because I, I wanted to give a sincere answer, you know, because the impulse is to give, you know, some super spiritual answer that. That may be true, but really dodges the question. And I was like, oh, it's, you know, by the power of the Spirit, which is true. So I, so I paused for a moment, and the first thing that came to me in that pause was my ego. That mm-hmm. I really have to battle my own ego. Mm-hmm. Because the truth about me is that... I want to be seen by others as a a success. Mm -hmm. I want to be admired. I want to be liked. I want to be uh, held up as a model for ministry and life and all those things. Wow, what's that like? Yeah, right. You you have no idea (laughs) what that's like. Such a burden. I know. (laughs) I know. It's it's unique to me. Uh Um, And you know, so I, I I have to battle that, and and I'm sharing the story 
because it's this is this isn't just a preacher thing, right? Yeah. We as human beings like to have our names associated with institutions that appear big and strong and successful and you know I'm I'm totally aware of this when it comes to sports. I mean here in the city of Charlotte whenever the Panthers our NFL team wins, I hear people say we won. Mm-hmm. you were not out there on the field. <laughs> but whenever and they lose. It's they lost, yep. right? So we disassociate ourselves um, when when they lose, but when they win, it's like, oh, yeah, I had a hand in that. So we, we want to be associated with with the winning thing. And a small church just doesn't seem like it's winning. Well, in the culture, that. it's yes. not winning. In it, right, in the culture, it's not. And you have to fight that sense of... I want to be admired. I want to be seen a certain kind of way. And um, yeah, the, the question caught me off guard, but in answering it, what astonished me was I am doing it. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that question for me, because I think, um, I mean, I think about it a lot, not necessarily in terms of like, why am I not at a bigger church, but how do we, do what we do like you have to sink down deeper into your ultimate and eternal values and so just to be able to acknowledge sure there are days when I feel foolish and I feel like a loser or I'm I'm in certain spaces where I know that I'm not perceived as being I mean again successful is the right word right um, because we're not aiming for success in the kingdom of God. We're aiming, aiming for faithfulness. faithfulness. And so if we say that we're going to let, not what the culture tells us about Jesus, but what Jesus reveals both in his life on earth, as well as in his death and resurrection and in his birth and in the witness of the whole revelation of scripture, then what we are called to do is walk an alternative path. Now, people who are trying to make the church a successful and influential institution in the culture and kingdoms that are, try to market Jesus as he's the secret sauce that will make you you know, how to succeed in business without really trying, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is how you can have the perfect life and the perfect family and you won't have to suffer and you will be rich and also you will be powerful and good and morally clean. And, you know, that's just a lie um, because the values of the institutions of this world and the values of the kingdom are clashing and all things here are passing away and being made new. And that doesn't just mean the things that are evil, but also the things that are good. And so I think, you know, anybody or what I believe, and, you know, I'm aware that it could just be delusional self-aggrandizement and (laughs) justification. But what I deeply believe is, you know, you start this journey thinking it's one thing. And as you allow the spirit to lead you deeper, you realize that it's really another. Absolutely. But you look back and see it was there all along. You just weren't paying attention to the parts that you weren't ready for. And so, I mean, I do think that our cultural obsession with 
size is just really like antichrist. Um, explicitly, Jesus was not obsessed with size, but we are. And we evaluate the worth of a person by the size of their salary. We evaluate the worth of a community by the size of its impact as we measure, Budget. you know, I mean, I just, interestingly, I was looking the other day that there's a local paper, alternative paper that does like the best of Charlotte and they, they do the best in all of these categories as voted by their members and they have a best church in Charlotte. Wow. And the best church in Charlotte is Myers Park Baptist. And, um, you know, I just thought like, that's just such an interesting thing that and for those who do not live in Charlotte, Myers Park is a very affluent part of our city. And Myers Park Baptist is a very um, progressive, mm -hmm. um, liberal, in, I mean, I think socially conscious congregation of self-proclaimed. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't I don't I don't know a mm -hmm. single yes, person who's a part of that community. So I don't I, I don't have anything any one way or another. But I do think, you know, the idea of having the best in the kingdom of God is is anathema because it builds back into that hierarchical hierarchical scarcity construct of there's only so much goodness and it's got to trickle down and I think you know we just need to sink deeper into um, the the really terrifying revelation of the gospel which is we're, we're all playing our own game <laughs> and absolutely no one has the power to prevent us from being faithful to Jesus in the life that we have. Um, so lots of things can prevent us from achieving the life that we want. And frankly, a lot of things are thwarting and temporarily preventing justice and human flourishing, but we all have the power to be faithful to God and to be full of the spirit and to be transformative in the lives that we have and sort of live every day. And, you know, we have everything we need to be faithful to God in this season. Um, and that is a really sobering truth. Um, and I, you know, when I look at what, when I have dissatisfaction, which I do um, sometimes, it, usually I'm tired <laughs> because I've been, playing God in the sense that I have not been resting and I have not been acknowledging my limits and seeking help. And I've not been telling the truth about what I can and can't handle to myself and the people around me. Um, but, but when I do get discouraged and I look at my expectations and my dissatisfactions and compare them up against the witness of scripture and the embodied life of the church, I recognize that nothing I'm experiencing is, is counter to the promises of the gospel, except perhaps how enormously generous and gentle the Lord has been to me. So um, I think it's just a matter of really continuing to orient ourselves to Christ and the word of God and not the culture or marketplace Christianity, because, you know, that'll, that'll kill you. Um, and, and I think, you know, there's times when people just really want to like travel the prodigal son path, right. To say like, forget this, like, this is not good. <laughs> this life is, I, I think I'd be better off, you know, out in the world 
doing what appears good to me in my own eyes, taking what belongs to me and trying to hack it on my own. And I think that's why, you know, the, the prodigal parent says, go with God because I, because we can't, we, this has to be a free choice or, or it's just spiritual slavery. It's anti, it's blasphemy. So. Yeah. Ultimately our colleague's question to me was, just really helpful because it, it took me out of my own head, my own ministry, and to help me see that this is a this is an issue for the body of Christ in general. Well, and I just think the reality is, you know, how we can look at this and wrestle with our own weakness and limits and failures and longings um, is really important because if you if you have contempt or denial towards your own humanity, then you're not going to be able to meet people with the good news in their humanity either. I mean, I think, you know, we're in Advent and I think that a huge part of the revelation of the birth of Jesus is that, you know, the Lord enters into the spaces that we all try to avoid, right? And that obviously, you know, an omnipotent, all-powerful God could have, A, not entered into reality and be entered into the most elite, privileged, comfortable, powerful sector of human reality and chose not to. And I think that that is a revelation to say we don't have to rise to the top to be one with God. And in fact, um, we are we are able to experience the holiness of God when we turn and allow the spirit to lead us towards the margins. Um, and so, yeah, I just think it's a matter of saying like, well, what did we expect about the gospel or letting go yeah. or recognizing some of our expectations and illusions? We can just tell, especially with the gift of all the theological training that we've had, we, we can just tell, well, these were not, these were not reasonable expectations for one who professes to follow Christ, you know, Christian nationalism. <laughs> sure. But Christ, no. And so then you just have to decide, like, well, do you want Jesus or not? Monday night, we had our last elder board meeting for 2022. And as I do most years, at the end of the meeting, I asked elders, as we were preparing to close with prayer, what were some of the things that they wanted to give thanks to God for, you know, that happened, uh, highlights of 2022? And so, you know, normally we say things like, you know, we're grateful for the budget or growth in membership and, you know, very, um, very measurable things, right? And, and, and not anything bad or evil, but, you know, just these kind of institutional growth mm -hmm. um, items. And I was so moved by one of our elders who said, I want to give thanks to God that in 2022, I became friends with some homeless men and women in our neighborhood. And we, we just paused there for a minute. And um, we, are, we are very grateful that uh, there are some homeless people in our neighborhood who are uh, now more than nameless people who live in tents in the woods near the church. We know them as Doug and Ethel, and when we see them, we stop and talk, and 
um, that um, that is not a value that comes from the world. Right, and I think what's hard is it's not a value that comes from the Christian world, mm. and that's what's so confusing. Like even in our own denomination, the the communities that are lifted up and prized are large and powerful and wealthy. And, you know, I think it's, there's just this really interesting tension that you and I both feel a lot of passion to. I, I want to serve a flourishing Christian community. And to me, a flourishing Christian community is one that is making connections with people who are not yet mm-hmm. in relationship with Jesus or who are have not yet found a place of unconditional positive regard and acceptance and of, you know, so, so wanting growth, I'm not willing to let go of that. Like that is important, but holding that intention with needing to be big and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that's just a tricky thing to navigate because I think it's so interesting in our denomination, I would say, and maybe this is unfair, but I would say on the one hand, we're, we're, deeply suspicious and downright hostile towards evangelism. And yet we continue to prize the largest, wealthiest and most powerful churches. And I, I mean, that's just an interesting circle to square. <laughs> like sure. it's bad to be evangelistic, but you have to be big and powerful if you really want to be used for God and by God, or if you really are being faithful. And so I, um, anyway, I, I think to be able to say where we are right now is sacred and also carries with it sacred work so that no matter what season of life we're in, um, we, there's, um, you know, work to do that doesn't always appear desirable or possible in our own eyes. And that, that is, um, you know, that's, that's a challenge. Um, but I think it is helpful and it would be much more helpful if as colleagues, we, trusted one another and God enough to be able to name, hey, here's what's hard and here's how I sometimes feel broken and defeated and discouraged and to be able to know like, hey, that's not just, that's not just me and this is a part of not just, not just being a pastor, but a part of being a human being, like we were saying before we started recording that, that there was um, a really just devastating story today or this week about a um, public figure, a celebrity that we both like, a dancer um, named Twitch who was on the Ellen show. Most people know him for that, but I know him from So You Think You Can Dance because my family loves that show. And he's just this incredibly gifted and joyful um, black man who had made a, a, a place for himself in, um, in this country and, and you just bearing witness to the beauty of what it means to be, um, alive and flourishing as a black male and just defying so many of the terrifying lies that seek to kill and destroy, um, black men created in the image of God. And, um, and he committed suicide this week, um, by gunshot wound. And I think, you know, if you're, if your authentic truth is joy, 
then it's really hard to ever find a space to be overwhelmed and sad and discouraged and feeling defeated and a place where you can name that and be met with gentleness and support and not people trying to like cheer you up and move you past this and get you back to the role that the world needs you to perform in order to make it feel good about itself. And I think, you know, I struggle, I mean, not with depression or suicidality, um, but struggle a little bit with like the, the truth, the deepest truth of my life is that I feel I am and experience such incredible grace and graciousness and blessing and provision from God. And that's really the only thing I want to say about my life and, and particularly my life in this community, because I love it so much and it is so good and it is such a gift. And because that is so true, it's hard to ever really anywhere be honest about like, Hey, I'm, I am overwhelmed and I am tired and I feel like giving up and I feel, you know, all of these other uncomfortable feelings that, you know, are also sometimes true in seasons. And it doesn't make the larger truth about the joy and gratitude and fulfillment that I experience untrue. It's just, you can feel two ways at once. And I just, I think about him and I obviously don't know him, but just how lonely it is to carry a burden of sadness and um, alienation and despair and not even be able to acknowledge that because everyone is counting on you to be um, to be something different. And it feels like a betrayal. You feel like, yes. oh, I shouldn't feel yes. this way mm -hmm. because I know all the other realities of my life. And um, I mean, I think that's a really hard line for people following Jesus to be able to say like, in Jesus, we find abundant life. Mm -hmm. We do. And that is not a spiritualized someday reality. And it's not an idea. It, it is our embodied experience with the Lord. And also, <laughs> sometimes you don't feel it. And if we can never talk about that, um, then when people find themselves in that place, they think, well, everything about me is a lie and a sham. And there's no hope for me. And, you know, I, there, it's just a existential despair that, that is really, um, just can sometimes you just can't fight it anymore. So. Yeah. Especially when you feel like there's no place to talk about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And especially when sometimes, you know, we, we flex in front of one another and act like that's never my yes. reality. Yes. Right. And so, you know, I, I think the reality is Jesus experienced deep depression, I think, um, and withdrew. And also, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, just wanted people to keep watch with him. Just like be with me while I go through this. And it's so hard to stay awake and present to the one you love and the one you depend on when they are in despair. So um, I think it's just such a great, hard, but life-giving gift that you and 
our colleague were able to have that conversation yeah. and like, and I think that's what, you know, I mean, I think that's why friendship, like real healthy friendship is essential just to being human, <laughs> but particularly to following Jesus. Because if you don't, you know, if you don't have any friends, like not just people that you can hang out with and drink a beer with, but friends, you can say like, I really, um, I, I, I really don't know how to hang on and friends who can sit with you and say, you know what, you don't, you don't have to, um, if you don't, you know, so I think that's really, um, that's really a good thing. So what is astonishing you? Um, I mean, I, what is astonishing me? A lot. I mean, what? we, <laughs> I'm, I really am tempted. To, I really am just going to acknowledge that I was astonished by the announcement of our former president about these <laughs> NFT trading cards that he is releasing. Um, and, these are, I don't even think they're actually, I mean, they are NFTs, so non-fungible tokens. They're digital Correct. images Correct. of the former President Trump in different, like, scenes, in different scenes. I'm trying to not be, um, I, I, so, here, so here's what I think. I just want to say again that when I was in seminary, I was often a jerk, <laughs> and we had to take one like sociology course um, and I did not like the professor and we learned about cults and I just thought it was the dumbest thing. I understood that like Jim Jones had happened. I understood that cults occasionally happened, but I just remember being so sarcastically arrogant about like, I cannot believe you're going to make our one course on sociology be about cults because this is such, what are the chances mm. that in my life I will need ever these, need, need to think about yeah. like what this would be. And, and I, and so I just think I, I don't, I can't even remember the professor's name except that it started with an N, but I just remember being so scornful wow. and I just think it's this deep irony that I believe without any, um, a sense of pride or superiority. Um, I believe that people who are following Trump and certainly the people who these NFTs are ostensibly marketed towards, because some people are saying it's a money laundering scheme, like it's a way for folks to be able to contribute money to him because there's no regulation of cryptocurrency or NFTs. Um, so that they're not really actually for people, um, but that's what they're ostensibly for, for people who see the former president as a messiah, as a savior, um, as the literal redeemer of the nation. Um, and, you know, I believe that those folks are in a cult. And it's really interesting because it is it is a cult that is not located in a specific place. <laughs> um, I mean, so I don't know, like, I just think of like, I just think of how confidently arrogant and sarcastic I was. And, 
like how ironic it was that actually I think that like understanding and not despising people who I think have become possessed by this ideology is really the work of pastoring in our generation. And I feel like the Lord tried to prepare me for it. And I just was too arrogant to receive that. And I do think it's just really important to be able to see that that's happening and, you know, not look away from it and recognize that everyone involved in this is a human created in the image of God for whom Jesus was born and lived and died and rose again. And that this is a, a demonic thing that is destroying life and, and stealing the abundant life that we have in Christ. And, you know, how do we respond to it in a way that transcends the culture wars? Mm. Um, but also doesn't fall into both sides ism because I think the reality is this is, um, an extraordinary manifestation of some of the most destructive lies that we worship in this place and time. And it's not only there and there's no political party that is immune from the corruption of power. Um, but I, but I do think it's extraordinary and being able to see the people who are, um, captivated by this as not the enemy and as not looking, feeling superior to them, but really trying to understand the unmet need that is at least has the illusion of being met in this way. And like, what posture does the Lord call us to take towards folks who are really seeking salvation through the political system and and what is the right way that we as believers should participate in the political system and when is neutrality a betrayal and how can we unapologetically say you know as a follower of the gospel of Jesus Christ these are the manifestations of the kingdom of God that are political in this world um, and I am going to the best of my ability to have integrity and authenticity in submitting my will to them and also recognizing that it's got nothing to do with partisanship. Um, and so I don't know, I, I just think, um, and it's just ironic of this announcement coming at this particular moment in this, in the church year in the way that we count time. Um, and, and I, you know, am astonished. And I guess the last thing I wanted to say is that when I, when I also, when I was in seminary and I had a great deal of reverence for this professor, I was able to study with Elie Wiesel for three years. And really we studied um, genocide and totalitarianism the whole three years. And again, what, and I know I've talked about this before on the podcast and so I'm sorry, but like one of the, one of the things that he kept pointing out to us in the different books that we were reading was how closely linked the absurd and the banal are to evil and cruelty. And we always, I think, expect that evil is impressive and evil is sophisticated. And the reality is, he was saying, you know, that's just the revelation is that, you know, I remember, you know, reading A Day in the Life of Alexander Stolk, 
I can't say the last name. Um, but, you know, talking about how life in a Soviet gulag was both incomprehensibly brutal and cruel and absurd, right? And he has this line like, they were lying. We knew they were lying. They knew we knew we were lying. They knew we knew they knew we knew they were lying, right? I mean, just this idea yeah. that you think that something has to be like persuasive in order to be destructive and it doesn't and how you know if we you know part of the power of evil is our unwillingness to deeply wrestle with the complexity of being human so if what we want is to live our lives as as if we lived in the hallmark christmas movie town right where everyone was basically the same and everyone was basically wanted the same things and everyone had what they needed and there really was no you know no existential threat you know people were just either all good or all evil and you know that's just not that's not the world that we live in and our enemies are um beloved and sometimes anointed children of god and and it's just um sometimes so deeply difficult to wrestle with what it means to be human and faithful and when we are attracted to simplicity and like puppy dog videos that's how we become um so easily in- manipulated by evil and i just I mean, I remember sort of having these discussions and like understanding that they were saying what they were saying, but also just not like thinking that can't be true. Like something that that is absurd could never actually gain power here and now like a person. And I think, you know, when you see the former president and these, you know, highly like AI generated images of him in a tux or as Superman or you know they're just very bizarre and they do not conform in any way with any of the images of respectable leadership that have been passed down through our culture and you just like you think how how does this person still have power by not conforming to any of these norms of respectability and then I'm just like, I don't understand. It still surprises me. And yet, this is what consistently, you know, we kept learning about when we were learning about the, you know, Armenian genocide and like Stalin and Hitler. And, you know, to some extent, and we, we didn't do this enough, but like colon- British colonialism, right? Like it just, you don't, evil doesn't always have to present itself as sophisticated and intelligent and impressive sometimes it's none of those things and yet it's still highly effective so that's what i'm astonished by yes because it offers it offers power it offers the illusion of security safety um i'm reminded of of dave chappelle's um snl monologue um, several weeks ago (laughs) where he was talking to an audience that was, for the most part, I would say, a progressive crowd. And he says, look, I live in Ohio. Let me tell you why a certain segment of the um, population of this country uh, likes the former president. It's because, for the most part, he came out of the House and announced, oh, 
everything you guys suspect rich people, powerful people are doing is 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 true. Why? Because I use it. Right. And and, and yeah. basically invited them onto that um, onto that train as it, the the success there's that word again. There the success, the power that you see that I have, if you will follow me then it will trickle down to you. Right. And I think this is really the issue with not understanding shalom, right? The the problem is we don't we don't want shalom. We don't even desire it. We don't need everyone to be okay as long as we're okay. And we don't understand what a profoundly destructive ideology that is and that the reality is for for so long for always um, I would say in human history, but especially in America, there just have been huge communities of people who were suffering and other folks said, well, they don't matter. Like their pain doesn't matter. They they could never have abundant life anyway. And it's fine if we use them for the greater good, which is my good. And I think, you know, that is certainly the case with indigenous people it's certainly the case with african americans and it's certainly the case with rural white americans in some senses and so i think anytime we decide that someone's suffering we're indifferent to someone suffering we are essentially writing a prescription for our own mm. suffering because um either we all flourish or none of us flourish and that's you know certainly a theme that you find, I, I think, throughout the Gospels and, you know, thinking about King saying, like, either we learn to live together as siblings or we perish as fools. And, like, also the alternative to sort of white saviorism, right? Like, nobody, none of, no one needs someone to come in and say, like, okay, well, I'm going to save you because I've achieved um you know, salvation for myself. And now I can stand above you and pass that down. But to say, no, I know that there's, there's no liberation until everyone experiences liberation. I'm not free until all people are free. And so we work and serve together to achieve what is in our own mutual best interests. And, and, and a vision of sh Shalom requires us to trust God, that there really is enough. Right. And I think, you know, to, to truly be a Christian nation, I mean, the difference is if you have an, a, an, a culture that the driving ideology is cynicism or um, punishment, or if you have a culture that shalom is at least a defining ideal that you're striving for, that's just going to take you in a very different, very, very different path. Um, and I, you know, I heard an interview or I was reading a story about a very um, infamous, divisive uh, political figure in Georgia who happens to be a member of um, North Point Church. So Andy Stanley's church. And I, you know, I've always been very impressed with Andy Stanley talking to the congregation and saying, like, look, as Christians, when we vote and when we participate in the political system, our unity comes in, we seek the common good. We seek our neighbor's good. So whatever 
you know, person you vote for. That's not limited to one particular party or another always. You just, you seek the common good and that's how you vote if you're a follower of Jesus. And you put the needs of your neighbor before your own if you follow Jesus, which is really a political but a nonpartisan approach. And someone had um, approached the church to say, like, how did this particular person come out of your um, community? And they sort of said, well, Brad Raffelsberger, who was the who was the Republican Secretary of State, who who did refuse to lie and quote find extra votes for um, the former president came out of North Point too, right? And so you know, and the person who was speaking was saying like it's just hard that we always have to answer questions about this one person, but nobody ever points out that hey, here's someone who, in some ways many people would say acted against the best interests, his own best interests and the best interests of his party in order to, and, and and really, you know, um, experience some real blowback and risk in maintaining integrity to the system. And that person came out of our congregation too, but no one talks about him. And I thought, you know, that's, that's fair because, um, you know, I do think this, these are just extraordinary times to, to, be alive in because forces that have always been at play are uncovered. These are apocalyptic times, not because I think there's anything new happening, but because I do think for a lot of people, they are visible for the first time. And I don't say that as an excuse, um, but I just think that's reality. So and that is what's astonishing me. And I, we've gone a long way around the barn for that one. <laughs> um, what are you thinking about? Oh, boy. Yes, I'm thinking about. Oh, I know what you're thinking about. We're going to have to get through this quick. Right? Yes. I'm thinking about um, Jamal Bryant. And um, this is an all Georgia podcast. You know what? You're right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Jamal Bryant is the pastor of New Birth Missionary Baptist Church in Atlanta, one of the largest uh, black churches in the country. Um, he was on a podcast recently, uh, the Rashawn Alley podcast, and uh, I think it's about a 40-minute interview. Well, within the last five minutes of that interview, he made a statement that has really upset many in the church world, especially the black church world. And he said something about um, growing weed, growing cannabis as Are you gonna play it? an evangelistic tool. Yes. So um, before we interact with it, I, 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 I wanted to hear exactly what he said. And I've listened to the whole interview and he says, he says a lot of things in the inter- interview, and I, and I learned some things about him, uh, and it was a really good interview, and I think it's worth listening to the whole thing. Um, but I will play, I think it's about a minute and a half of, of what's, um, of this 40-minute interview that has become the most controversial uh, part. So here we go. Making sure that more people think like this or at least have this type of conversation Mm -hmm. so that they can try to change their thought process. Yes, because I'm mindful that I'm not after Christians. I'm after people who don't go to church. And a lot of churches are just recycling people from other churches. That's not who I'm after. I'm looking for people that smell like weed. I'm, you know, I'm I'm at a place, Rashawn. No, 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 really, is... (laughs) 
New Birth is the largest land-owning black church in America. Wow. And so my position to my deacons is why aren't we not raising cannabis? I'll be able to bring in black males. They're able to do it legally. Mm. I'm teaching them farming. Oh, my God. I'm helping them to enhance the ecosystem. Uh, This is the kind of conversation. So if the guy, black boy in Bankhead said, they grow weed at the church, where do I join? Yes. I don't need no pamphlet for him. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. He coming in. He coming in. And that, that's the group that I'm going after. So um, I, I need to begin my thinking about this with an acknowledgement that I'm, I'm hearing his comments from a particular place in the body of Christ. And I think it influences how I hear him as a pastor in a mainline denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, that is often shy um, when it comes to evangelism. Uh, when it, it is often um, often talks about outreach, but does not do a lot of it. Um, I hear him as a person, as a leader saying, I am willing to push the boundaries in such a way that I disrupt what is proper for righteous church folk in order to reach non-church folks. And I can, now, (laughs) I, I believe his statements are problematic, but I can appreciate that sentiment. And I'm not sure if there would be the same outrage because some people are calling for people outside of New Birth Church are calling for him to step down to, you know, stop preaching. I'm calling him, you know, a false teacher. Um, I'm not sure if the outrage would be the same if he had said, instead of saying, I'm going after people who smell like weed, what if he had said, I'm going after people who smell like alcohol. New Birth Church is the largest land-owning black church in America, and we're going to grow grapes, and we're going to produce wine. I'm going to teach young people how to farm, and I'm going to teach them the business, the winery business, and it's going to be a thing. I'm not sure if that would be the same. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that is so fair and such an important thing to point out. Um, I, I, I have problems. I and and again, I know it's problematic. Well, I mean, here's my here's my problem. I, I mean, I agree with you, and I agree with him that the churches are not supposed to. It's not our call to go after the people we want, right? It is our call to be a community that seeks to be faithful to Jesus and to receive folks in who 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 don't believe and who don't belong and to be a place of transformation and i think it's a problem with churches that we have for so long felt like as long as we lend our building to the aa then then we're done instead of really understanding that you know folks who are really um suffering and despised 
in the world that is are are folks that hold tremendous um, gifts and promise and value in the kingdom, right? Like too often we're the opposite of Jesus going, you know, Jesus went out and found people who in the eyes of the world looked the least promising and the least likely and said, come and follow me because I know the spirit of God that is in me will unleash the spirit of God that is in you. And, and Jesus, I, I mean, I think the story of the calling of the disciples is Jesus saying, there is no elite, right? There is, <laughs> there is no person who is not a divine image bearer and who does not have an incalculably precious gift to offer both the world and the body of Christ. And I, I don't have to worry about that. Right. So I do think that to the extent that I think he's sincerely saying that I appreciate that. My issue is a, I, I think, I mean, whatever my smaller issue is a, I think he just I mean, maybe it's not for my ears and I can appreciate that as a white person, but I do think that, you know, he is unintentionally reinforcing some stereotypes that I think are really unhelpful and untrue and destructive to um, everyone and particularly white people who are um, possessed by white supremacy. (laughs) Um, So that is a problem. But B, I just think that the whole weight and human misery of addiction are just an unacknowledged reality. Like I just, it really, um, grieves me to hear people talk casually about, um, abusing narcotics or alcohol. I mean, to your point. And I think we have a culture that sort of celebrates people like it's wine o'clock and mommy needs wine and you know which is the same thing so I think marijuana should be legal all day long legal regulated I think the way that marijuana has been policed and and other controlled substances have been policed has been you just racist and has been you know used to um, destroy and enslave a whole population systematically Um, so I I I want that to change and I want the stigma against addiction to be removed. And also addiction is not a joke. And many of the people who use marijuana, I agree, you can one can use marijuana in the same way that one can use wine, which is in a responsible way to enhance the celebratory moments of life. That is absolutely a way that it can be used, but often it's not. And um, so I think for me, you know, I don't know. I I don't know him. And so I don't have an opinion. I don't, I don't presume to know what the story is, but the question is like, well, what kind of growth, again, what kind of growth are we going after? Like when he acknowledges the person saying like, oh, you're growing weed in the church. I'm, I'm here. I don't need a pamphlet. I mean, if that's just sort of saying, I'm going to meet you where you are and then and then be vulnerable to what the Holy Spirit will do in our relationship to lead us both deeper into an abundant life that's completely transformative for each of us, then I think that's great. But the idea is like most people who use alcohol and drugs use it in a way that's really destructive, right? Use it to numb pain and wounds that need to be faced and healed. And so you know, I just think that it's, it's a, 
it's a lot. And to be fair, I don't think he was talking about that. And I'm with him all day long about like respectability in the church is demonic. Um, and so needs to be challenged. Like we need to put our thumb in the eyes of people who say, you know, that girl's skirt is too short, right? Like that's, um, a, that's blasphemy, not the skirt, <laughs> the way that we look at someone and to say like a young person who is, um, you know, moving from one high to a next in life to understand that they are not ontologically different than a young person who is chasing a high through societal approval on the football field or, you know, getting, you know, right. Like we all have this need to find belonging in the eyes of other people instead of sinking deep into our intrinsic God-given worthiness that can never be lost or extinguished. Um, so we all take those shortcuts and there's no, we all have addictive behaviors. Some of them are perceived as illegal and some of them are celebrated. Like most people in our country who we celebrate are people who are addicted to work and addicted to approval and addicted to success. And we don't have anything to say about that. We think that's awesome. We joke about how when someone says, what's your biggest weakness? Oh yeah. Addicted to coffee. Yeah. Shut up. I held up a coffee uh, cup. <laughs> I don't know. Get out of here. Um, no, I mean, but fair enough, right? Like fair enough when there are times when we say like, I don't want to fast from coffee because I recognize that it is a thing that brings me the most pleasure in mm -hmm. my daily life. Mm -hmm. And I don't need to beat myself up about that, but I do need to examine that occasionally and say, well, what, when does a thing that's a good gift from God become, become a liability in our lives. Um, and, you know, I remember Nadia Bowles Weber did a um, sort of Lent challenge one year where she was just offering different things that people could fast from. And she's like, hey, give up, you know, try giving up chocolate or sweets, but, but do it in the sense of where is a sweetness in my life that is not something I can taste, right? And to say, like, why are we so resistant to give this up? Because we think this is the only source that this goodness I crave can come from. And I just think, on the one hand, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that he wasn't, it's a long interview and he wasn't talking about any of that. And on the other hand, and I mean, he has to know just better than I do, the lives that we see destroyed by rampant and unmanaged addiction makes me really uncomfortable joking about marijuana. And I know that marijuana is not a gateway drug for everyone. I know that. But I also think, and somebody smarter than me could tell me if I'm wrong, like I think most people who do find themselves addicted to heroin or Percocet or whatever, they all start with marijuana. And so, you know, that's what I'm saying to my to my own child. Like the reality is... It is so painful to be alive sometimes. And how do we, as the body of Christ, acknowledge that pain and also gently, without judgment, help people say, in Christ, we can face that pain and find healing and wholeness in a way, maybe not to get rid of it, but to live with it that doesn't require numbing everything else or, or destroying other people. So that's what I think about that. Well, I wish um, <laughs> Sorry. They, had, they had talked about that longer. 
Um, and I'm living in the tension of two things uh, when it comes to his uh, statement about uh, weed in the church. On the one hand, I know that the church can develop gimmicks right. to try to draw people to the church. And someone once said, what you what win you... them with, you have to keep them with. So, so you ha- oh, <laughs> yeah. you wrote that down? Yeah. right? So, so you have to keep developing more and wilder gimmicks, right? Right. So that's on the one hand. On the other hand, I do think it is right and good and necessary for the church to have a conversation about how it's stuck in terms right. of how it um, connects ministers, reaches out to the community. Um, it, it's stuck because it wants to be respectable and comfortable. Right. Um, and there's there's a there's a conversation that needs to be had. There's a conversation that the church needs to engage in to say, okay, no, we need to break these habits because we're just trying to look good. We're just trying to look a certain way in the eyes of in our own eyes in the eyes of the community, and we're not um, we're not risking our own um, sense of reputation, goodness, whatever, in order to do the work of ministering to the least, last, the lost, the marginal in our communities right, that God I, has called us to. And I and I just think that um, I, instead of condemnation of Jamal Bryant, which, you know, and I, when I first heard him say what he said, I thought, okay, I, I wouldn't have said it. That's not where I would go. But I'm like, okay, it has sparked my thinking about the ways that I am stuck. Well, I just think the reality is I, I, I so I certainly think people who are saying he should step aside because he had the conversation are crazy, right? Because I think it's a faithful conversation. Like we should be able to talk about literally everything. And it is a, fa- it's always a faithful conversation to say, how can we connect to people who are on the outside, right? That is always a faithful conversation to have. So I'm with you that I wish it had been a, an actually, it is, it, it's like, but it's a podcast. It's not a theology book, but I mean, the reality is and, we're talking about like deep theological issues. And, and he's I not wish, talking to us. Well, right, right. Right. But that's the problem, honestly, is that like, it's, it's packaged as a joke and it's actually not a joke. I mean, to say, how can we meet people where they actually are, not where we think they should be? How can we meet them where they actually are and say, okay, this is come in and I'm offering you a conditional relationship. If you change, you can belong here. But to come in and meet someone where they are and say, actually, even if you never grow, even if you never change, you, we are for you and we are with you. And what does that look like to a person who maybe is, I mean, I think the sample person he gave, I think in what you're supposed to infer is that this is a person who basically the main thing they care about in their life is getting high or they, they experience abundance through getting high. I mean, I just think, I don't think that is who he's talking to. I think he's talking to very middle-class young African-Americans in the Atlanta area who may who, who, who may smoke or know people who smoke or who think it's okay, but they're not hearing any other pastor, any other church having a conversation about it. I think okay. what Jamal Everyone is, smokes pot except for you and me and maybe Han and Colin, <laughs> well, right? Like everyone except for us. Well, he, here, right? here, here, here's something that I have seen and I, and you know, I've never, I need to confess, I've never listened to one of his full sermons, but I've I've heard 
bits and pieces of other interviews. And what he seems to be very good at doing is to name things, talk about things that people we would like to have in our congregations are, it's part of their world, but let me own it. I am not talking about those things. Like, I have never mentioned, um, never mentioned cannabis. And yet, I'm sure that that's, that's a live issue for a lot of people in the neighborhood that but I serve. Here's my, but here's my issue. And I mean, and this is, this is genuine. Like, I feel like in that clip, he was talking about very serious things, like heart of the gospel ideas in a, like in a joking way. And I'm, I'm all for jokes. Like, I'm not saying we always have to be super serious about everything, but I think it's possible that people wouldn't understand that there's actual, like it almost, you, you could hear him and this wouldn't be fair. Like, I don't think this is true, but it's possible someone could hear that and say, okay, here's a person who, who is, doesn't care about anything but getting people in the door. That doors. is just a marketing ploy. Right. And yes. I don't think that that's where he is. Yes. But I think because he's not unpacking, like, actually, this isn't a joke. I think like, you're right. He did not connect the dots. And so the reality is, like, if I were yes. to say something serious about, say, anti-racism, mm-hmm. but to present it in a joking way and then not unpack it mm-hmm. and then run the risk of, like, alienating and offending the very people that I... Like, it's not a joke that respectable Christians want nothing to do do with folks who see no value in our in our life our common life like that's not a joke and that's not the problem of the people who are quote out there it's the problem of those of us who claim the name of Jesus like none of that is a joke and so I I think and to sort of rag on the church which I mean is deserved I, I don't know I just feel like the stakes are so high and opening the door of that conversation like it's it's it is acknowledging or it's on the edge of talking about like mass incarceration and like systemic racism and like existential despair and addiction and like just all of these like it like. And see, I think his argument would be, OK, yes, all those things are valid. And while there is a need to talk about all those things, meanwhile, um, young white people in Colorado are getting rich a hundred percent and that's what i want to hear him say like like this is to just point out like it's crazy that i think to see use the name jamal i can't remember which name he used but like it's crazy that there would be a young black man in buckhead Mm -hmm. who is running the risk of going to jail by doing what rich white like that's not funny right but he i think he's saying let's if there is a game to be played and the rules have changed then let's let's not get so bogged down in um, um, repairing the past that we miss what's happening. Well, now. and I think, and he, I, yeah, I don't think the, the way I I hear him, I don't think he's even serious about growing marijuana. At no, the I don't think he is either. But I I also think, I mean, I do think your point about like this is not different than wine, and it's not different than, I mean, that all of all of our perceptions about a wine drinker versus a marijuana smoker are like deeply 
deep typology Mm -hmm. and are deeply rooted in the um, lies that divide and cause us to demonize one another. And it's just worth acknowledging that. I I think that's 100% true. And I do think it's possible. I mean, not me because I don't like wine, but it is possible to drink wine and not and not get inebriated. And I and I legitimately do not know because I am as naive as you I think we're, I am. We're talking about this but as we, two we naive know, people who have no idea. I have idea. never smoked pot. I, I, I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling the truth about that. And I don't think it's possible to smoke pot without getting That's being a good an altered state, know. right? So like, yeah. I just think, is there something different about a substance that is exists to transcend the reality and what does it say? I mean, to me, I just like, what does it say that so many people are living in such a constant state of despair that whether it's smoking pot or taking a Percocet or doing heroin, or I can't wait to get to five o'clock to drink wine, people are just saying like, I'm just holding on no, that's until legit. I can get that's to legit. a place where chemicals will make me feel okay. Sure, sure. And that, I, you know, I guess I just like, this is, this is just deep, deep stuff for me and obviously um he and i have very different lanes to be in and i can appreciate that um but i do think it's really interesting and i do think it deserves like it deserves a really serious conversation and i will say that you know folks in the evangelical world have been talking about marketplace ministry for a long time and that's what i hear him talking about like right like if this is happening why don't we get in the game and why don't we try to participate in this community in a way that is uh, full of the abundant life of Christ, right? Like to live out those values in those spaces, a lot of people are never going to cross the threshold of our sanctuaries. So how do we cross out to where they are? And I think that that's, I mean, that's a conversation we ought to be having all day, every day. And anyway, so that is what I think. Wow. Yeah. I, I think there's just so much more to unpack there, but what are you thinking about? Well, I I can do this more quickly, but I am thinking it's not. I mean, it's actually the same thing. I'm oh, thinking I know of, what you're. Gonna, <laughs> I know what this is. Okay, very good. Yes. So yes, everyone, yes. you should just turn us off right now and Google um, Flying Drummers Church because there is a mega church in Texas mm-hmm. that has generated a lot of controversy. Oh yeah, this is the same thing. It's the exact same yeah. thing because they are preparing for a Christmas show and they are having. Um, like nine percussion like drummers mm-hmm. who are suspended from wires on the ceiling who are like zipping all through the auditorium and playing playing on their drums and it's part of their christmas pageant and people are outraged about it and really questioning like is this in line with the values of the kingdom of god and then other people are pushing back and saying like hey it's spectacle it's giving people what they need it's drawing them in so they can hear the message of the gospel and jesus was excellent and this is excellent you know what i just so realized all in fair this game. moment what i am a total hypocrite because what? i'm like oh this is terrible this how could they do such a thing and a moment ago i was like Oh, we need to have a conversation with Jamal Bryant. I'm right. Well, I mean, I don't think that it's, I mean, again, what I often say, like we're dualist thinkers 
Right. And so we want to say it's all or nothing. And I, it's not all or nothing. Correct. But where we draw the line matters. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to me, there's a world of difference between the outrageous idea of a church growing pot to try to connect to young people in the neighborhood who are vulnerable and disaffected and, and disconnected from the body of Christ. There's a world of difference between that outrageous idea and the outrageous spectacle of basically trying to make Christmas Eve worship like a Broadway uh, show. I was, I was thinking a Hollywood production. And I just think... And, but at the same time, okay, maybe I'm not such a hypocrite because I am thinking, yes, there is value in a certain level of production value, but can you take it too far? I mean, right? I just think the the I my personal read of the story of the birth of Jesus is that right. it is anti-spectacle. Mm. So, and to what you said before, like what you win them with is what you keep them with. Yeah. So if you're getting people to come in the door and be like, wow, that I am dazzled. I am amazed. This delights me every second. It. Then, then when you get to the part of the gospel that does not delight you, that doesn't, that strips you of your illusions that calls you down and to the edges and yeah. to sacrifice. Like you're just not, yeah. you're not going to be prepared for you that. Connect with that. So I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I am the one every Christmas generally who's climbing ladders to hang things from the ceiling of our sanctuary. So it's not that I don't think that it is a good thing to create and it's a good thing to try to, create something beautiful that bears witness to the glory of God. Yes. I think so. But I, I, you know, I, I understand that when you've got a, an auditorium that seats 7,500, it's hard to focus on something small. But I mean, I also think the message of the birth of Jesus is that the majority of the world missed it because it was not located at the center and the people who were dazzled were the people who got stuck working that night. (laughs) And, um, and yeah, I am. And I think that the difference of what's the pastor's name again, Jamal Bryant, is that his name? Mm -hmm. Yes. The difference of Jamal Bryant's spectacle, he's explicitly saying, I am considering this because it would engage someone who is despised and under threat and endangered in the world that it is, than the world that is, right? And so I'm considering how do I even offend and scandalize my own members in order to reach that person? Now I, I think that the way I, I, I'm I'm troubled, but but I do think that's the question to ask, as opposed to how can I make church as impressive as it could be to the people who can fly to New York for Christmas and see Broadway shows, right? Like it's, it, the question is, who are you trying to reach? And it just seems to, and you may, you know, again, you can argue anything in the world and someone could say, well, I'm trying to make a free Broadway style production come in. But I, uh, but I just think the reality is people need to recognize that what is excellent in the eyes of the Lord is not flying drummer boys. It's um, giving alms to the poor without letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And there's a there's a beauty and an excellence in the kingdom of God that is hidden and offensive to 
the powers that be. (laughs) And I just think, you know, walking that out is a really important thing. Um, so if, if anybody's keeping score, I'm both anti-flying flying drummers and anti-growing pot on the church grounds, but much more sympathetic <laughs> to, <laughs> to the urban uh, marijuana cannabis farm than to the flying And we missed boys. both of those classes in seminary. <laughs> well, I mean, I missed every evangelism class in yeah. seminary because there wasn't a single one, but that's... On this Sunday, no, not this Sunday, next Sunday, Christmas Day, we are moving out of our sanctuary into uh, the Fellowship Center where we will um, sit around tables and have um, hot apple cider and uh, maybe some cookies and um, worship will be... um, I don't know if stripped down is the best way to say it, um, but it will it will be in a different space. It will be a different order. It will um, it will sound different. Our musician, um, our, our primary musician, is traveling with his family, and so um, the songs, the carols we sing, will be a cappella, and um, it'll be uh, church unplugged. Um, we know that quite a few of our church family members will be traveling to see their family in other parts of the country, and so we expect it to be um, not only a different space, unplugged, but also very small, and yet there is something in me that cannot wait for this Christmas morning. Um, I, I sense that with all the stripped-downness of it all, that... And I may be fooling myself. That you uncover the sacred. That it will just, I, I will, I will say to others, I wish you had been there because I don't have the words to fully yeah, I, describe. I love it when Christmas falls on a Sunday. It is um, inconvenient and um and and I, you know, it's hard to figure out how to do it, but I'm always so deeply grateful once it has happened. So um, that sound means we are out of time. So if you want to find out more about what God is doing at God's Church, The Grove, you can check out their new website as... At you said The Grove. Sorry. I'm sorry. Here's no the worries. I mean, no worries. I'm multitasking. I like The Grove a lot. Well, the our Grove website is, is thegrovecharlotte.org, and you can check out our YouTube channel and our podcast, and you can worship with us in person or on the live stream at 10 a.m. So tell the good people how they can find out about Derrida, D-E-R-I-T-A, Presbyterian Church. You can worship with us online or in person at 11 a.m., our website is deridachurch.faithlifesites.com, or you can listen to our podcast on the Podbean um, Network channel. So thanks for listening, and we will talk to you in, in 2023. 2023. <laughs>